0: Welcome to episode 4 of Two Pints of Maggots and a Packet of Hooks, The Fishing Podcast. And what an absolute whirlwind of a couple of weeks it's been for me since our last episode. It all started with my appearance on Talk Sport 2 on Fisherman's Blues Show with Nigel Botherway. And it was a chance encounter, really. I thought I'd get an opportunity to have a little bit of a plug, a couple of minutes chat, and, and you know, thanks for coming. But actually, it turned out to be a good sort of half an hour where we spoke about everything when it came to the the idea of this podcast and how we go around uh, getting the guests on as well. So that was fantastic, really, really good. Followed up then with a feature. Um, so when we talk about the press pack in a couple of weeks' time, it'd be myself. Improve your course fishing. I was doing a deep water feature fishing for roach and skimmers, and that was a brilliant experience, a bit of a a lifelong ambition for me. I've always wanted to sort of get into the magazines and and give across a few tips and tricks, hoping that will help people catch more fish. And finishing off uh, just yesterday um, with legendary sea angling journalist Sam Harris. Um, I went on his radio show on CVFM. Um, and MDK independent radio stations talking about the Teddy Fisher bait range um, because we've now launched our new um, crushed expander range called Excite so that was a good opportunity there as well and he's invited me back to talk about the podcast too so lots and lots of stuff going on on a personal level which has been great and it's all a big thank you to yourselves because if you don't listen then of course um, there's no point in me doing these things. So what's in this episode for yourselves? Well, of course, we've got the press pack as always. I've got all the monthlies. I've looked over the weeklies as well. I've had a little scan on social media to try and find find things of interest. And there's lots and lots going on um in the angling media. In the tackle shed, again, lots of new releases coming up. We're coming to the end of the river season, but of course the fish are waking up on our commercials as well. So there's lots to look at as we head into spring. And of course for the big chat, in the big chair is elite match angler Nick Speed and he gives a fascinating insight into his, um, I suppose him growing up, what got him to where he is today and about fish swim management. So how do you make those key decisions throughout a match and competition? So lots and lots to go all through and um, let's get cracking with the press pack. Now then, let's get stuck into the printed media. Uh, We missed out a little bit on episode three because the monthly magazines hadn't arrived in time for that one. But um, they've arrived now. I had a good chance to look at the March edition of Match Fishing Magazine. And on the front of that is Mr Nick Speed, of course, who we will be speaking to very, very shortly. And improve your course fishing this month is March the 9th to April the 6th uh, edition, issue three seven four. Um, and of course, we've got the Angling Times. <clears throat> excuse me to go out as well. Um, one thing I did miss, though, from the second of March, I can't believe I, I, I omitted this one off episode three. Young kid, young schoolboy, um, thirteen years of age. Kyle Brain, um, seventeen pound fourteen ounce barbel, and seven pound ten ounce chub from the Middle Trent in one session. <laughs> I don't know. how I missed that from from uh, from the last time we looked through the uh, the press crazy stuff um, i'm still trying to beat uh, get a double figure barble and i'm yet to beat um, a five pound chub so good luck to the lad good on him um he said he pre-baited the swim went down for a couple of hours just a couple of fields away from where he lives so lucky lad moving on to more up-to-date times with the angling times uh there's an article here from the i think this was in the the, the 9th of march but yeah it was quite a disturbing story in some respects but um it's talking about pharmaceuticals uh, going through humans and into the to the water system. Uh, and it's talking about, are we drugging our fish? And what this comes from is a study from Australia that did many, many tests in their water systems and found that anti-anxiety tablets in the water course um, make fish less inhibited but extremely clumsy feeders and then it talks about some examples um, bringing it across to here because there's been tests in the uk as well that finds the likes of prozac and and any sort of uh, anti-anxiety tablets as well it's getting into the water of course it's affecting the fish making them more docile um, could be potential for uh, for reproduction which would be a big big problem And I just found it a fascinating story, and it probably wasn't given the pages that it deserved because it's such an important thing. Um, However, out the back of it, though, there are many studies that are about to take place, um, governmental studies as well, to ensure that these types of things, uh, because there's that many drugs getting into the water course, um, don't affect the the environment um, too much or minimal impact. So, yeah, I found that fascinating. It gave an example of how a perch would be more Um, erratic um, when it comes to feeding and and actually a bit more less inhibited but when it goes to to strike at your bait it's highly likely to miss because it's going to be quite docile and quite clumsy so I thought that was a fascinating article and and, and worrying at the same time Um, then we come to um, the green revolution so it talks about dynamite baits and suffix line um, being a couple of the first companies to look at fully recycled items so the idea for dynamite baits um, is that they're aiming for recyclable packaging asap uh, but the other part of that as well is to have um, the most minimal environmental impacts if you like uh, from their factory production as well so they're looking at making their factory a lot more renewable energy combine that with their uh, recycled packaging and gives them a really good green footprint and, and i'm before I went on to the show with Nigel the other week, he was actually talking about this as a precursor to, to our chat. And I just sort of chimed in with that straight away that I think we'll see more and more tackle companies looking at this. It's, it's absolutely vital. You know what it's like when you you go onto the bank and those anglers that that sort of leave litter, which is my absolute bugbear. I hate seeing litter. I hate seeing litter in the street. I hate seeing litter around fisheries even more. Um, and yeah, it's when you've got stuff, ground bait bags or whatever that's taking years and years to break down it's just scandalous and what annoys me even more is when fisheries provide bins and anglers still don't go and do it there was an image at one of my local waters a week or so ago woodland waters where the anglers had been had been, they'd been carping and um, i knew who they were because i drove past them on the way out. i recognized the peg from the picture and there must have been three um, shopping bags full of rubbish just left on the peg um, okay, the bags were tied up, but so what? Just take it with you. I, just, I don't get it. So, yeah, more recyclable packaging or biodegradable packaging. More power to them. Good on them. Uh, Suffix, on the other hand, really interesting concept. Uh, they've made a couple of um, monos now made out of recycled line. So that's a really interesting concept that you, you're making new line out of old line, if you like. Um, so that's uh, that's a step in the right direction as well. The final thing that I saw in the weeklies um, was a, a very interesting article um, around otter fencing. So I was shocked to hear the other day that um, my local water where I've been, I was fishing a winter league till everything got stopped up in uh, Metheringham, a place called Fen Lakes, and that they've got otters. And I thought about it, I thought, wow, there's no real um, waterways, big rivers, etc. for quite a distance. Um, there's lots of little dikes and becks that, that run into the, the river Witham and, and places like that, but I would have thought otters would have to travel a fair old way, which just goes to show the devastating impacts that they're having on many, many fisheries. And My understanding is that to get this fencing that goes round is uh, is quite difficult at the minute. There's, there's many places that are, it's, it's in high demand. So this article caught my eye because it says, and I'll, and I'll quote what it says, a forward-thinking company has begun using discarded fishing line to help protect carp from other pred- otter predation. Fence posts using otter fences are usually made from wood. But Steve Carey, the man behind the firm Reworks, which creates products from waste plastics that aren't normally recycled, is using posts made from old line to protect stocks at his fishery in the northeast. This innovative solution is a result of a partnership between Steve and Viv Shears of Angler's National Line Recycling Scheme. Viv, whose organization is close to reaching a landmark 10 million meters of recycled fishing line, is delighted with Steve's work. What a great idea. So he's building posts for his otter fencing out of old fishing line. Moving on to online, and it was good to see uh, we did get a bit of a scoop off of um Rob Hughes in episode three. He mentioned some real big things that are going to be happening with uh, BT and On the Bank, etc. And that is starting to come to fruition because I spied yesterday and I dropped uh, Rob a note to say it sounds fantastic. But it was on the uh, Tackle and Guns um, Facebook page where it explained a brand new angling TV show has been announced uh, and it's going to be called it's going to be called angling outlaws it will see a group of non-angling sports personalities taking up fishing for the first time they'll be guided by expert anglers who will learn different disciplines and undertake fun challenges in their efforts to become competent um It's going to be hosted by Rob Hughes. He'll front the show and there'll be special guests from the world of angling to offer instruction. Rob says it's a brilliant concept and sure to appeal to all viewers, anglers, non-anglers and sports fans alike. We all know how our great sport is and with Angling Outlaws, the wider world will see it too. Uh, Filming will commence this summer, and the show will be broadcast across BT Sport in early 2022. So more great news for the sport. The more we can get it out there, the more we can get people trying, and the more we'll get a a future um, for everybody. So that's very, very exciting. Okay, moving into the monthly magazines. First up, what have we got? We have got match fishing magazine now of course i've already mentioned nick speed is going to join us very shortly you'll hear him on the big chat Uh, but he he adorns the front page of uh, march's match fishing mag Uh, he talks about uh, key decisions, swim management and as i say we'll delve into that a lot further on on the big chat um there's another very very good article i think it was page 50 if i can just double check that and it's from dan webb There's a heck of a lot of thought gone into this. There is one, two, three, four, five, six pages um, of... It's called Master the Tip. Uh, And basically, it's all about the importance of the float bristle. Way, way too much to discuss in this short press pack feature because, as I say, there's six pages worth. But he thinks about it a lot. There's a lot of thought process into what tips to use, in what circumstances etc and he believes dan webb believes that um, as anglers we don't think about that enough we spend a hell of a lot of time thinking about um the stem whether it's wire carbon nylon whatever um but do we think about the bristle as much as i say there are six pages to go out there so it's a heck of an article very very interesting i certainly never thought as in depth as as what he goes into here um so there we go. I mean, for me, as long as it goes under, I'm happy as Larry, but I see where he's coming from. Also great to see in Match Fishing Magazine on page 86, young lady, 16 years of age, called Lottie Wotton. Um, she's talking about improve your silverfish fishing. Um, it's at a place called, We find the name, Burton Farm Fishery in the Midlands. Uh, and she's putting together a lovely net of roach. And it's just quite nice to see, you know, a young lady angler, keen as mustard, putting together a cracking of silverfish uh, and good on her and good on match fishing for, for getting her involved as well. Moving on to improve your course fishing, a couple of things that caught my eye. First of all, page 39, uh, a very, very good article with Xenia uh, Drury-Gregorek, the daughter of the, uh, of the owners of Anglers Paradise down in Devon. Uh, she does a fun and interesting article about getting your kids on the bank. So it says mum of two gives details and a top advice for getting kids and families into fishing for the first time. And some really top tips around sort of um, preparation, ensuring that you keep the kids engaged, uh, how to sort of spread the session out so they don't get bored or if they are catching that they don't get too overexcited and managing their expectations, etc. So a very, very good article. um, And I'll be in that sort of position very soon where, you know, I can't wait to take my little girl fishing, but she's just too small at the moment. And even when she she's big enough, you know, it's, well, how do I get her to enjoy the day? So that, I'll be keeping that article to one side and, and we'll be revisiting that. Uh, another interesting piece is on, let's skip back a little bit, page 34. Uh, and this one is by a chap called Harry Pardo. And this is called Time to Plan Your PB Bream Campaign. Now, I fish with bream, fish with bream all the time. Love catching skimmers in, in commercials uh, when the carp aren't feeding or even in between the carp. Great, you know, they're weight builders, etc. But I've never targeted big, big bream. I have started thinking about the upcoming summer. I've started thinking about the river near to me on the Witham, um, where there are some big bream shoals that come and go through spawning. Um, and I'd love to catch a big old, you know, warrior of a river bream. But I've never thought about targeting these... Big still waters and there's lots of them in my area here lots all over the uk but double figure bream you know those fish that some carp anglers think are a nuisance which would be a bit of a fish of a lifetime i guess and and this was why it caught my eye because i actually quite fancy having a crack at this it's pretty bog standard stuff it's sort of like a, a scaled up match style if you like and a scaled down carp style um but he just he makes it seem really simple. It's, it's a couple of pages. He's using a method feeder. Um, he's using quite a heavy, I found this quite interesting, a very heavy fish meal ground bait mix, actually a barbel mix with halibut pellets as well. So lots of attraction, lots of smell, lots of feed in there. Um, worms, of course, Bream love worms. And it's just uh, something that, that wet my whistle a little bit and definitely something I'd look at, at getting stuck into there. Page 84... There's an interview here with Sarah Collins of the Get Hooked on Fishing Charity. And we'd spoke about this charity a number of times in episode one and two, with Keith being um, an ambassador of the charity. Um, he helps out those the kids down there and the London Project. Um, and out of that, of course, Tommy got in touch with Dave Preston and has then gone and um, provided uh, the charity with, with all the Fuca bait that they want, which is great because some of the kids, they're a bit you know if iffy picking up live baits maggots worms etc and fuca takes that away so um again i'm not going to talk through the whole article but it just gives you an understanding of of what it takes to sort of run a charity and and run a charity when it comes to fishing if you read this it, it just shows you how much of a worthwhile cause it is and um we should be all, all be trying to get behind it as much as we can and hope that they can get the uh, the finances to keep it going Well there we are, lots going on in the weeklies Uh, some good catches coming out some um, interesting articles and some interesting tips and tricks as well. So now let's talk to our special guest Mr Nick Speed in the big chat
1: Teddy Fisher Baits specialise in the manufacture of fishing ground bait and additives. We combine a 40 year old proven fish catching recipe and the experience of our skilled team. Fishing is an adventure, and here at Teddy Fisher, we strive to make that adventure a success. Go to www.teddyfisher.co.uk to see our full range of baits.
0: Welcome to The Big Chat, and on this episode, we've got all-round elite match angler, dynamite baits and shimano to mr nick speed how are you sir
1: good evening (laughs) i'm good mate i'm good how are you
0: i'm all right i'm very well thank you now before we even get started i saw a cheeky picture of you bashing out a great big barbel out of one of the rivers where was that i
1: I, I thought you were going to say something else eh? (laughs) bashing it out (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah i uh i was I, i I don't i wish i could say i do more uh, you know more river fishing and it you know it's back from the roots and i suppose during this lockdown um i've been fortunate enough to get out on the bank doing uh you know content creation for both com- companies because obviously that's my line of work um and it's just given me that opportunity to to visit revisit venues that i haven't seen or fish for a long time, and, and Fiskerton, is a typical example of that. Um, and it just coincided with uh, the rivers falling from the floods, um, and it was just perfect condition. I was just, you know, I had two not so good days, but he, nonetheless, I still enjoyed being there because it's absolutely beautiful. Um, and, uh, and one absolutely cracking day where I literally caught a few barbel in a few hours. So mm-hmm. I, I've, in, I've enjoyed the fishing and the change of scenery that's great isn't it
0: now you know that we've got a bit of a format we sort of talk about a past present and a future if you like but if we go off track that is absolutely fine not a problem at all and to be honest um the reason why i invited you on the show is um we we have touched base once before 2016 to be very very precise my good lady um bought me a ticket for for a day down at tunnel barn farm it was a, called a day with the stars do you remember this day at all
1: i do remember it i remember it very well
0: so you remember the format there was five anglers five groups and we had an hour each with you now
1: did i did I fall in that day
0: <laughs> you might have done not on my session <laughs> you might have done actually i don't know um it was you there was des there was matt godfrey jane That's hughes great. and That's Andy great. may
1: yeah yeah so
0: now a whole host a cacophony if you like of skills um I, I just left that that session that day thinking of your one hour piece because it was the one one part that really stuck it was the only thing that that was different from all the other guys and you were talking about method fear so ever since then you know i thought a I thinking angler and i like a thinking angler so how did it all start for you, Nick? Was it just the usual, you know, granddad took you down the canal or was it a different route into sort of match fishing?
1: Quite well, well, I suppose I thought, like, well, as youngsters, and I'll never forget this, the first time I got the interest in fishing was I used to live in Cambridge and I and I, I lived, I was brought up in the fens in Cambridge, uh, in Pinkton, uh until I was seven. And and my granddad used to do a bit of fishing when he used to come down in sheffield because he was in sheffield at the time and yeah you know i've been with my brothers fishing but very very vague memories i can't really and i think i was just on the bank playing because of my age and my brothers were fishing and then when i moved to sheffield uh i, I obviously became friends with a, a few people at school and two of them were keen fishermen and that I, I remember going into Stephen wilson's garage one day and he's got his fishing rod set up. I went, oh, have you but a, bit, a bit of fishing? He goes, yeah, yeah. He goes, we go on the River Sheaf in Millhouses, uh, Millhouses Park. Uh, just trout fishing and bullhead bashing, as we used to call it then. <laughs> <laughs> Not more bashing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so actually I remember uh, my first ever fish was a bullhead. And obviously after... Maybe a couple of sessions catching bullheads, um, I got very bored. You know, I wanted to catch a, a better fish, and I'll never forget this. And I was sat at the bottom of the weir, and you know, there's a little bit of a high wall that slopes into the weir, and I was sat on a uh, summer's day, and I, and I snapped my line. Obviously, I just literally, I had no tackle whatsoever, we were all borrowed off Stephen, um, and I, I'd snapped my line, and my bait was in the water. And I was tying a knot to connect everything back up. You know, a clueless knot at that time. And and lo and behold, I felt something tugging. I lifted up. I've got a like, pound rainbow trout on on the other end. <laughs> Brilliant. And that, was, that was it. That was my, the earliest memory of me catching a fish was that rainbow trout. I'll never forget that. And and then after that, I started and we did. There was three of us on a regular basis. We used to go up to Damflash. That was our local haunt. Um, so literally, from the age of nine, ten was when I started fishing, and and they kind of like a lot of your friends phase out, lose interest, and I'd say that was when we were about fifteen. But I just still loved it. Yeah. Um, and it was a hobby then, you know, and I, it was just pure passion. And and one thing I've always enjoyed is literally just socialising, being out in the fresh air um and i i, I, I a, a, a massive passion grew for fishing to me um and i just enjoyed every minute especially dam glass because it was so challenging it was the excitement of going up to this massive reservoir it's 115 acres yeah um and really not knowing what were, how the day was going to unfold you know and what you were going to catch and at that time as a youngster you know like a pat used to catch big roach there you know with a waggler a pound and a half. i n I've never had a two pound roach. My biggest roach is one fifteen and uh, and I'd say if, you know, if someone's to ask me a question, you know, there's one fish you want to catch, and I'm, well without a doubt, it's a two pound roach. Um and it was that kind of venue where you always went and caught big roach on the waggler and maggot feeder and using an eight foot I'll never forget it, Sul Star Wingle Picker. And it really grew from there and then um obviously you know, we started travelling further afield like Walsborough, Buttyley Reservoir. And then when I passed my driving test, that was massive for me. But uh, Damfast holds a lot of fond memories because it was where I won my first ever match. I was 11. And I'll never forget this. And I, I bumped into um, Keith Ashmore, who was uh, a, a former Barnsley Black angler, yeah. very good angler. Uh, And there were a few faces up there, very famous faces in the map scene, especially in New York, like Brian Needham, Pat Needham, Ben Goffin, um, Paul Stanton, um, you know, just to name a few that you always looked up to as a youngster when you were walking along the bank and you'd watch them fish a a waggler and loose-feed maggots and just pure art, you know, and and in them days, no poles. Are these
0: lads still with us? Do you still see them?
1: I still see Paul Stanton knocking around. I know Pat and Brian packed in fishing, then come back into it, I'd say, about 2000 and... No, about late 90s, 98, 99, for a very short space of time. Whether they carried on or not, I don't know. But um, there's only Paul Stanton out of those people I mentioned that still actively fish. Um, And I just just enjoyed... uh, Going and watching a match, and I'll never forget. I was up there and I just said to Mum, I said, i love to fish a match. Um, and the first couple of matches, I didn't do, do too well. Uh, of course, I just had a, 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 an eight foot winkle picker, a few maggot feeders. Um, and I'll never forget, they used to call me the Wanderer. And uh, <laughs> I, I used to spend more time in the match. Uh, and the match entry fee then was £5. It was £5. Yeah. It was £5 entry fee. I'm, I'm kind of like showing my age a bit out here, aren't I? You know? <laughs> um,
0: I, I know what you're saying. Oh, that's the worrying thing for me. I remember them still star pickers, but yeah.
1: Yeah, and uh, anyway, this it was the third match. It was a windy day. I've drawn peg eight on the house Got my brolly set up. Um, and maybe about halfway through the match, I've got a couple of small roach. Uh, I just left my rod in and went to walk. Uh, you know, try, And I always wanted to try and... Gain little hints and tips because, like nowadays, and there's a lot, everything's very familiar in certain areas with angling, and nothing has changed as regards to information. And that you only learn so much by conversation, it's when you visibly see it with your own eyes that it all makes sense. And they don't even, an individual doesn't even have to explain the process, you can see why they're doing it. And I'd walk up and I'd see somebody, you know, oh, he's fishing a long up length or oh how's he how's it how's he set that feeder up? And and I remember I you know, I used walked off on this particular day, come back after having a cup of tea, and I always just sit behind Ben Goffin. Uh, you know, and if there's one person I looked up to as a youngster, it was him. Very, very intelligent angler, very intelligent angler. Uh, um and I walk back <laughs> pick my run up. And I got a three-pound perch on the end. But you'd left your rod in when you'd been wandering. Yeah.
0: Imagine doing that nowadays. You'd never see it again. I know. Would you? <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: I, and anyway, I I had a a, a three-pound. I ended up with three-pound eight ounce and I won the match. And really? not the matches then were pretty big. Yeah. Pretty, you know, big turnouts because that was the, that was the be all and end all natural venues. Um and even local venues on your doorstep such as Dan were hugely popular. Um and they used to have Wednesday evening matches, they used to have Saturday matches, Sunday matches, and the there's the Pennine Championships once a year. They used to have the Autumn Sweep which is in October, and the Pennine Championships. Now in my earlier years, when I first started getting the itch for Matt Trish, and after I'd won that match, that was like and I won eighty quid. I'll never forget it, I won 80 quid and I was just like... You was 11? And I was absolutely over my... Over I bet my you business. thought you was a millionaire at 11 with 80 quid. Well, I did until I got in the car and my mum wanted it, so I'm, <laughs> of course, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm keeping that because that's a lot of money for you. Yeah. And, and looking back, I'd have done the same. And But I was really, really keen on fishing and that was the itch, that was the trigger point for me. Um. And I remember the the autumn uh, the the penine champs, and you used to turn up in the morning, and the queue for the draw was ridiculous. You know, I'm talking. You know, it used to be two. In its heyday, there used to be two hundred anglers in the match, okay. right around the res. And I I wasn't there this particular day, but I remember one pound one ounce won it one year. You know, yeah. so you're really? talking. A very, very hard venue. And And a high standard of angler as well, weighing that in. So that's how tough it is. It is. It is. uh, It was all simplistic fishing then. It was bomb and maggot and waggler and maggot and maggot feeder. You know, and, and, you know, if you were going to fish a ground bait feeder, you'd fish these homemade feeders that were made of, like, plastic tubing that really you were, unless you converted in myself and i ain't got that far in my intelligence with fishing yeah um but you were just feeding a, a lot of bait and a lot of it was we used, it was regular we used to go there and ball it in with a catapult and fish a bomb over the top mm. yes yeah. and uh i i won the pennine championships i think when i was about 15 or 16 wow. and i had a bream and two perch for six pound four ounce and i won the pennine championship wow yeah and I, and I put four balls of ground bait in it maybe 55 60 meters and i fished a bomb and single maggot over the top of it all day and i had three fish and i'll never forget it we used to use three pound marlin main line <laughs> and 12 ounce bear hook length yeah. um you know, maybe two or three might have been in a longer hook length you know but 12, 12 ounce bear pearl was the go-to hook length we used to use yes yeah. And um, a Mustad, size 23. We always used, used small hooks. It was wherever we went, we used small hooks. Um, and then Fleet's Dam, like, they stopped Alan Hansen put some bream in when they they netted Clumber Park. And Alan Hansen brought, I think he brought five tonne of bream when they netted Clumber Park. The rest of them went in well lakes. Um I'm sure somebody will give me a bit more information but that's uh, that's exactly I think that's exactly what happened and we were all of a sudden going to fleet Dam fishing a waggoner and catching like bream up to 7 8 pound wow um, and that was I'll never forget reading the Angling Times and there's a centre page of Alan Hansen Alan there with a massive net and he's massive bream and as a youngster that was just like the monstrous fish you know enormous bream um and that didn't last long because then he started putting carp in, which obviously made it a mixed fishery and and then we were going there <laughs> still still trying to use twelve ounce bare pearl on as hook lengths. Yeah. Or if we if we or if we were feeling aggressive, stepping up to one seven bare pearl on and wondering why we were getting broke. Getting broke off, yeah. And uh, over time, you know, things started developing and then when I passed my driving test, I'm now like quite I'm getting... I'm learning. I'm learning quick. I'm doing well on the local scene, i.e. Dan Flask, um, where I can get transport to. And then I started travelling down on the Witham with Ben, and he used to take me, and I'll never forget um, a very individual... We used to fish Coombs Res a lot, which is a chaplain in the thrift. Um And Ben used to take me up, and, and we went up there, and I'd John peg seven, and I won the match. Now... Then days it was a um, a five pound entrance fee and a ten pound optional mm. and i sorry it was ten pound entrance fee five pound optional and i went into the entrance you know the normal just basic pools but i didn't go in the optional because at that point you know i was just i just enjoyed fishing in matches i wasn't that competitive yeah i was just enjoying the fishing i was enjoying the, aura, the the, the, the you know, talking to people and, and learning information, but yet at the same time fishing these really interesting venues and coming away off the bank every single time thinking, do you know what, I've learned so much today. Uh, and that was quite special because I was fishing different venues. Anyway, so I, I ended up winning the match, and this was a, a you know, 60-page sellout. Um, you know, so I was like 15, something like that. So anyway, and Damien, and it was quite funny because Damien Bracken was second in the match. I'll never forget it. I was going to say uh,
0: you got a cracking memory like to to remember these even peg numbers.
1: Fair play. I, I can only remember it now. I'm talking about it. Yeah, you know it all comes floods back, and it's almost when you talk about something, it takes you back to that split second, even you know that last hour when when I'm hopefully going to catch another dream. And Kevin Hill was just above me as well, which was. He was a, well, he still is, and he doesn't fish as much now. But just a pure class when it comes to uh, tackling like wild waters, like
0: oh, unbelievable! He, his dad, Peter, used to work in my local tackle shop where I'm where I'm originally from, and all them lads used to all use a, a, a company. They, they're not they're not really sort of renowned now as in tackle shops. Have you, you heard of Aldersons?
1: I, Alderson's Groundback. Yeah,
0: they used to use all that, and
1: yeah, there was a, a Bradshaw. That's right, um, no? John yeah, Bradshaw. Yeah. yeah, John Bradshaw, Simon Shepherd. That's right. Yeah, um, yeah, he used to run the matches at Coombs.
0: Well, you would have been sort of meeting in the middle then, coming over the peaks from the Yorkshire, weren't you? And all our lads were coming from the from the northwest, and that sure. was a, that those sort of venues, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So Damien yeah. was second, was he behind you? Yeah.
1: He, he was anyway. Yeah, he was second anyway. So we come to payout. So he goes, yeah, yeah, Nick Expedia, and. Uh, something like 100 quid. I was like, whoa, happy days. And uh, and he goes, right, Damien Bracken, second, he's uh, 180 quid. And, and Ben goes, and obviously waiting to, to get the money so we can go. And Ben goes, hang on a sec. He goes, what's gone off there? He says, no, Nick's won the match. He goes, yeah, but he didn't go in the Super pool." And he, and he took me outside Ben. He went, don't you ever come <laughs> with me in an open match and not go in the pools. You're in a match to win it. And you pay the pools. Were you sharing as well? No, we weren't sharing. Uh, and he was my mentor, and he kind of like really gave me a bit of direction with stuff like that. Yeah. And he says you fish a match to win it, and that is it. Um, and and you know somebody reminds me, who is a really good friend of mine, uh Tommy's like that. You know, it's you know nobody remembers second. You in the match to win the yeah. match, and that is it. Um. And it was just those little things that helped you focus. That, look, you know, if you're going to go in a match, you do it properly, you know. Um, and I started travelling down on the Witham with him. I'll never forget going down on the Witham and used to get down to Kirkstead. And used to literally spend ages waiting to draw. But the match was just... the match, You know, consist, how many angles were in the match and where people were travelling from, just to Witham. And, and actually... Uh, on the decline of the Wytham, it was becoming predictable. But during my, like, teens, my late teens, when I fished it a lot, when I passed my test and I was using my mum's mini-metro to go down the them <laughs> if I wasn't going with Ben or, or somebody else, Um it was so challenging because you literally, you just didn't know what was going to happen, you know. And that was really exciting, fishing to me, and and fishing a new venue, trying to figure out and... Um, you know, and it just literally went on from there and, and I got keener and keener and keener and now I'm chefing, I've left school, um, working a lot of hours, doing a YTS scheme, yeah. um, working a lot of hours for, I think it was 27 quid a month, uh, a week I was on, um, but yeah, on the day off or hopefully two days off going fishing, and because I was chef, and I used to do split shifts. So, I, I, you know, I might get one Saturday off every other Saturday or something like that, uh, and then a day off in the week. So I was always making the most of my time off, and it just literally went on from there. Um, so, yeah, I, I, my passion it comes from those earlier years of fishing those special venues that are very fond and close to my heart still. Like where I've been today was, you know, he sat on the bank and, this you, you know you literally just reminisce and and look back at, as a youngster being on the same peg yeah
0: that uh, it's funny the way that you explain that i had visions i had flashbacks of my first match and i still i can i can see myself sat where i was on the bank similar to now, very very similar to what you've just said it was a place called jumbles reservoir which is up near Bolton. same sort of thing you know 70 odd acres uh it was with school about 30 odd kids Imagine getting 30-odd kids to fish now out of the same year at school. It just wouldn't happen, would it? No. Um, and, and it's a very, very sort of similar story. But just before we move on, the river with them is 15 minutes from my house. And I've lived here now just over a year and I haven't had a chance to get down there yet. But when I do go and I have a look at the river, you know, especially over last summer when we could get out and about, I, I, I can visualise, you know, those hundreds lying in the bank from Tattershall all the way up to Kirkstead. that's that's my local river if you like yeah. um, and funnily enough I've been chatting to a lot more locals as I start getting into the into the area and chatting to to people and there's some bags still to be had you know Nick you just need to know where to go and when and that's what I've got to learn so I get on the right peg on the right day Somewhere around June the 18th, I imagine, next year, a couple of days after the season's open. I can't wait. So you you just whet my appetite again thinking about it.
1: Yeah, I think um, if you looked at the witham, I'm sure that it holds, if not more, uh, fish than what it used to. Yeah. Um, But And this coincided with commercial fishing, that there was a sudden decline on venues like this, especially Fenland waters, you know, uh, where there's a lot of agriculture, culture going on, farmers are using stronger nitrates, um, and as a result of that, that then obviously bled into the systems, um, killed all the weed, um, so it killed, killed, basically created photosynthesis, photosynthesis, where obviously it just allows, with, with the nitrates going in, the water going clearer, the weed growing, and before you know it, the fish are still there, but so Wilberton's because the water is gin clear now, and that was never the case. Yeah. back in the time where you know you, there was always colour in the water and certain stretches held different fish from eels to bream and roach and depending where you drew depending on what you fished for and i'm sure that they're all still there but they're nocturnal fish now aren't they you know yeah.
0: in terms of, of that evolution then of your of your match fishing what i found really interesting is that none of that was a club you were straight in with opens is that right
1: i've, ne- I've never fished in a club ever
0: and um, and I'm seeing this thing, the more I'm listening to the to you top guys, and, and a lot of them, Andy Bennett said a similar thing on the Guru podcast, is that he was sort of just straight in, straight in with the opens, you know, no messing about. He said it was a, There was a real fascinating thing that he said, and he said, if you join a club and you're, you're beating the best in the club, you know you're doing it right for that level. But when you're beating people who are the best on that venue or the best at that style of fishing, you know you're definitely doing it right. And you can't gauge yourself on club matches. So that really resonated from me, uh, for me. Because that's sort of my, my, my station is club fishing. Um, so that's really interesting. You, you followed that, that same sort of path, I guess. It,
1: now, it, it, it depends what boundary you want to fish within. So if you, go in a, if you want to be a safe angler, but you still want to enjoy your match fishing and compete but feel as if you're going to get a reward then you're creating that safe zone what you're not prepared to that safe bubble that you're not prepared to burst right yeah and and like what Andy reiterated in his podcast from what you told me um that you're only going to go so far and then you look back at the time that you've kind of like flatlined where mm you feel as if you're not gaining information from the people around you no. because you're beating them. So, And then everything becomes a little bit secretive because they want to beat you, so they're not going to tell you anything even if they learn something. <laughs> yeah, true. But as a youngster going into the match scene, is completely the opposite because they they don't look at you as a threat. They think, do you know what, it's nice to see the youngsters on the banger. And I think the age difference has not changed either, that you know, angling does hold a, a large amount of middle aged to old age people, and it was the same when I was a youngster that I was one of the very few youngsters on the bank. But because I was young, all right, young un, you're right, uh, what are you doing? What are you going to do today, old fish maggot? Feed? Oh, yeah, yeah, good choice, good choice. And uh, you know, or they'd say, right, well, you know, uh, why don't you try this? oh uh, right yeah i'll I'll give that a go kind of thing and and they're willing to help you, yeah, because they actually they, they want to see these youngsters on the bank that's the difference, yeah, so let's put it into the context of now where we are now that when I fish an open match at Lindholm, and and i I try to be as open and helpful as i can, and i am not computer savvy i I'm, I try and spend as much time on social media as i can and i and I get a lot of messages. And I try to help people as much as I possibly can. Uh, And if I'm on the bank side and and a youngster is doing something wrong, or or, and it's very rare this happens, because I tell you what, when I was younger, I would be that individual that would walk up and ask questions. Yeah. Because I want to learn that you don't get that anymore. No. And... I'm I'm now in that position where I look back and I, I try and help people that let's say I've weighed in a match, I've seen somebody do something completely wrong and and then they're wondering scratching their head, well, I can't understand where, you know, I've gone wrong. And and these are the people with no disrespect to them that they then will touch, say to mates, you know what, I've been next to X today and he's fished a method, I've fished a method and you know what, I couldn't catch an easy, ended up winning a match for two hundred pounds. Mm-hmm. Then I walk up at the end of the match and say, right, you're using the wrong hooks. They're far too heavy for what you're trying to catch. Your hook length's too thick. Your hook length's too long. You're using the wrong weight feeder. You're not mixing your ground bait up properly. This is how you do it. So there's a lot of information missing from a conversation as opposed to what you see with your eyes. Mm-hmm. And if you want to become a better angler, you use your eyes, not your ears. Yeah that's that's and 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 then obviously i for that reason I'm, i've seen it i've been there and i like to try and I, I get a an in i get a buzz out of helping people and seeing them improve and that's why i enjoy my coaching
0: yes i was going to come on to that i noticed so you're going to get involved with i know you do your coaching and, and you, you you know plenty of bookings and keeps you busy and whatnot but I noticed a concept. I think you're doing some uh, with um, an online piece, online coaching. What, what's that entail?
1: Yeah, it's a good idea. It's Barry Zimmerman, yeah, um, bit of an entrepreneur when it comes to things like this. Very, very good, very uh, forward thinking angler um, and wants to elevate angling to a different level, which is exactly why he's done this. So yeah. it's an opportunity for individuals to book. Um, an hour, or right. even more, uh, with an individual. Um, obviously, no what we're doing, but on obviously um, screen on on camera. And you're on the bank. Not necessarily. Okay. Uh, could, be, could be at home in the evening while we're having a cup of tea. Yeah. I'm in the tackle room. Oh, look, I want to show. Uh, I want you to show me what floats you're using. And right, got uh, it. Explain, explain to me the process of of pellet fishing but are in detail or just could not you show me how you prep your pellets up or how you do your expanders or um or shotting pads. show me some shotting patterns. Or it could be anything. It's, it the world is your oyster as an individual. And I think it's a great idea, because of the current situation that we're in, yeah for an individual to sit down for an hour and to think, do you know what, I'm a bit I'm a bit clued up, but I'm I'm a bit lost with this approach and I'm losing my confidence here. I need to speak to somebody about it. I need some to speak to sp- somebody that's that can actually give me some logic behind it and some confidence and give me a, a footprint to work from, and then I've got I'm in the right direction. That's what's on offer. Wow,
0: really interesting. You're right, very entrepreneurial. Real sort of um forward thinking, I guess. Oh God, it's, yeah. it's obvious yeah. really when you think about it. <laughs> it's one of them where you think, why didn't I think of that?
1: <laughs> it is. Uh, and to be honest with it wasn't for Barry I wouldn't have done it. Simply because, um, and this is quite funny. It's quite funny, you know. And, and I, look, I I've worked hard to to do what I've done from being a, a chef, and I've been chefing since the age of obviously seventeen right up to uh, how old am I now? Oh yeah, thirty nine. <laughs> yeah, thirty nine. Forty nine. So I stopped chefing when I was thirty nine, and. Um, you know, my last few years at, at Sheffield, I was head chef for Chef University for eight years. Mm. Um and I've worked really hard in that time during Sheffield as well and doing well in matches to to be in this position to to actually coach people, but also I'm a consultant for two companies. Um I'm actively on the bank doing promotional work, whether it's to do with the companies or or uh uh, the magazines, DHP or Angry Times, and answering questions, doing shows, and there's li- those little things like online that uh, I, I, I'm sure I am going to make time to do it, but I wouldn't have thought about it myself. No, no. You know, and maybe if my income was in question, then yes, I think it would be a, a direction to look into without a doubt. Um, you know, a bit. A, another source of earning a bit of money and and more to the point of actually getting positive feedback from the general public out there that are using this platform uh so to speak and helping them catch more fish you know which in turn is ticking all the boxes um mm. it's it's giving that enthusiasm they're going to catch fish they're going to go fishing they're going to go into the shops they're going to go tackle they're going to be they're going to be happier people and then you're going to get the reward from an individual saying, do you know what, I'm so glad you told me about that because I've had the best days of fishing I've ever had or I've won my first match or, yeah. do you know what, I've doubled my match weight, I've I've broke my personal best match weight. Yeah. Those little words um, mean an awful lot to somebody that puts a lot of time into fishing and, and, and that's all you need is is that praise at the end of it. Well, not I wouldn't say it's praise, it's just somebody's painful
0: yeah thank, yeah absolutely you, you what you what you're saying is correct it's worked and it's and it's had a positive impact
1: yeah yeah very true
0: well, let's have a think then um let's talk about elite anglers because what you've just said there has fascinated me because I think there's a really weird misconception that all you lads who who, who fish all the big matches and win all the big events it's a relatively small pool of anglers. That are Very consistent um, You would be in that in that bracket Absolutely, making big finals Consistently winning leagues um, How many times have you won Winter League Now at Lindell, two, three times Whatever it is.
1: Yeah, is yeah. I've won it three times in the last Two years on the trot um, And that's why I was a bit good with this Winter League because I thought, you know what, I'm going to make it A hat trick this exactly, year my aim, my aim was to make it a hat trick But no go, finished, signed off um, um and, and rightly so
0: it is it's what it is isn't it it's just you know but it, it's that level of consistency anyway it's the, this, this elite level i think the general public seem to think well i i'd be that, that classic line i do that if i was fishing every day a lot of people you're not fishing every day you've just said you've juggled a job working as a chef for the last x amount of years as well as doing your consultancy stuff as well as doing your media stuff, as well as doing your coaching, it's not like you, you know, you're on the bank seven days a week and that's what makes you as good as you are, is
1: it? No, what he did... There's a lot of people... Well, it's not what you say, the mis, misconception really of, of of what an individual's job role is and that's what it is. It's a job and I'm lucky enough to say that it's my job and it's my hobby And and, and then the disadvantage to that is it's seven days a week. Mm. you cannot escape from it, but I don't want to escape from it because I love doing what I do and I'm passionate about it, but there's more to being a sponsored angler than catching fish. Mm. So you have got, in in the match scene, an awful lot of anglers that win a lot of matches, but can they talk in front of a camera? Can they write their own features? Yeah. can they are they are they open to the public are they warning to the public can they speak in the right manner I, um and that's just a pinchful of it it is there's so many ticks that you need to put in the box in order to class yourself as as the right character so to speak i'd say yeah, yeah. um to, to to promote a company and to promote to promote, to promote a brand um you know, and that's, the I will not say the hardest part, but that is the testing part to it. And and that comes with time and experience. Um, and I'm lucky enough to have been given that opportunity um, when I got made redundant. Um, and it's just, you know, progressed from there, really.
0: Apart from the, um, what we just said, the dedication, the professionalism, the listening, the learning on the last podcast we spoke to Rob Hughes um, and I asked him a question about because obviously he watches a lot of you guys in these big matches and, and he observes and as you rightly said already in this, this episode, you know, watching, you learn a hell of a lot and and I said to him what do you think makes the difference between your average club open, you know, occasional winner to so these lads and lasses that are consistent, you know um, and he, I said is it just decision making he said mainly, but um, a lot of it's having a bit of flexibility as well it's sort of it's decision making on the day but it's also just your general understanding of techniques and tackle and that brings me to to this to, to the real thing i want to sort of talk to you about during this episode you, i see that you adorn the front of match fishing magazine this month looking very dapper
1: and i've not just, seen it i've, I've heard i know dave weston said he, you know it's going to be a front cover but i've not actually seen it yet yeah. am i looking yeah, yeah. Pretty, am i looking pretty attractive
0: oh you're looking sharp don't worry about that yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> us- follically challenged chaps are always leading the way of course um <laughs> but it's not to ruin it for the listeners and, and obviously the readership um and i'll probably cover it off anyway in the in the press part of this episode but it's all about what, we, what you what you call swim management now I try and explain. It's hard to explain whilst we're just chatting away, but I guess that's the essence of what these podcasts are about. I've, n- I've purposely not gone in, in depth about tactics and things on this. It's about the person rather than the tactics. But when it comes to this swim management, it's so important the decisions that you make throughout that five or six hours what dictates you to change is it purely just i'm not getting bites, i need to move or is it a, perhaps a change in 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 weather is it something that another angler by is done what
1: right. is it, uh, i know it's take, hard to explain let's take a step back yeah so let's go back to when you said to me i uh, learned a lot from the hour uh, with fishing with the stars yes so a lot of my thought process how i am as an individual in the fishing uh, comes from my chefing, so uh, I, you know, I, 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 really do enjoy cooking. I, I always have done. Maybe then, I loved my chefing, but I love fishing more. So I was looking forward to my days off. However, when I started getting really in depth with my fishing and looking, especially the commercial side, where it was um a revolution, where There was a crossover, wasn't there, where, you you know, your anglers that wanted to do it had to kind of, like, divert from natural fishing to commercial fishing. And some people understood it, and some people didn't. And it wasn't a case of some people liked it and some people didn't. The fact is, some people understood it, and some people didn't. And the people that didn't understand it, with no disrespect to them, but that is the only way of looking at it... uh, diverted back to the natural scene and the rest of them progressed in, in commercial fishing and, and there is a, a crossover that there's a lot of brilliant anglers that do everything. Yeah. But it created this kind of like wall in match fishing that you've got your commercial anglers and then you've got your natural anglers and and then you know you'd see uh you know, I'm gonna go and do some proper fishing on a river or a canal. And what I loved about the commercial fishing that everyone was on a level playing field that it was actually a new venture for everyone, and that uh, you know, if you sorted out a bait, or uh, it wasn't necessarily that presentation. It was about it's about bait with commercial fishing. At that time, all of a sudden, new bait come on the scene. Paste fishing, for example, margin fishing with ground bait. And I'm not, on, I'm on about the third, the first person I remember with ground bait down the margins was Kevin Baxter. Kevin Baxter and Steve Clark, as far as I can remember, and I'm on about, uh, about 96, 97, mm. talking a long time ago. coming on 25 years, yeah. They, they were the first to feed ground rate down the edge and, and, like, reap the rewards. And and there was, let's say, for example, the meat fishing at Hawke. After you've got the likes of Steve Cook, Jamie Mason, and I was doing well. And it was that trigger point for me where all of a sudden I learned so much in a very short space of time about how the fish wanted to be caught. So all of a sudden I'm using this bait um, that I'm like thinking, do you know what? Everything loves this bait. So I then did a, like some homework and I went home and I, I diced some meat up and I got a tank and I timed the fall of the bait, which was 18 inches, seven and a half seconds. And then, uh with it right i wash it oh sorry it was longer than that but then I washed it off in warm water because uh, at you had seagull problems so right i wash it off in warm water and I've diced it up uh, and it's gone from nine seconds to seven and a half and se- uh seven and a half seconds uh you know it's it's falling quicker now. So now I know my bait's some of my bait's getting to the bottom and and then I wasn't getting seagull problems. So the 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 other angles were getting seagull problems. So they were pushing fish into my peg I'm feeding bait that everything loves. And all of a sudden, my catch rate and, you know, the amount of matches I won in a space of time there was, you know, quite astounding, really. I'm not a big-headed person, but I really knew I'd figured something out. And it lasted for quite a few years there in the summertime from the spring to the autumn. And and in that time, what I used to do, I always used to take the water temperature. So we used to take the water temperature in the morning And what I learned was, over maybe two or three seasons especially, was as soon as that war temperature got to nine degrees in the autumn, the meat stopped working. But you'd get to, let's say, the back end of October, you'd get on the bank, it's a bit freezing today, coat on, you know, and you'd get settled, and God, it's absolutely freezing, a lot colder than last week. And as a human being, you're then thinking well, I better cut down on my feed. I better start feeding maggots Mm. or or micro pellets to catch everything. And then you'd put the thermometer in the water and it'd say 10 degrees and you'd think, no, it's still going to work because 10 degrees. And then I'd sit there and it might take longer for it to work because obviously the algae is now dying. So the water's getting a little bit clearer. So the fish are a little bit more spooky. They're going to hang further out in the middle of the lake and when that light does finally drop or goes, changes when in a fish's head, it's all to do with light, in my opinion, that it's a trigger point where they start moving and looking for food. Uh, you know, all of a sudden your lines come alive from 90 minutes to go. That is whole yeah. all over. Yes. And, and the amount of matches I won in the autumn from knowing that it's going to work, just keep feeding, keep feeding, it's going to work. And that is... what happened in the last 45 minutes you get eight carp or or 40 pound of skimmers in the last 40 minutes and eight carp or it was just like an explosion of bikes from uh, experience then knowledge which then gives you confidence and then it gives you the patience and that's the format what you look at and and what I figured out uh, was it was understanding nature and little things like, um, and, and it all stemmed from, I've talked about it quite a few times, I fell in the lake, uh, end of a match, red hot day uh, at Hawcroft. went for a swim, it was like being in a warm bath, leveled my body up when I got to the middle of the lake in the reed pool, and it was like, I ch- put my feet in a, tube and a bucket of cold water, it was like, well, now, know, that's cold. And yet, above my waist was warm. All right, it makes sense why well, the fish want to be shallow now. Yeah, they don't want to be down near the bottom right I'm, i need to look into this further and then i looked into the columns so you've got your thermoclines yeah yeah got you you've got a thermocline then you've got above that you've got the hyper millennium and below that you've got the lower millennium so the warm air the wind the sun warms up the top level that's hyper millennium as it cools it falls below the thermocline And that's where it's colder, but it holds more oxygen. The the colder the water, the more oxygen it can hold. The warmer the water, the quicker it's released. So that's why the fish want to be in the warm water, but that's why they follow the wind, because the wind pushes oxygen into that warm water. So you could have one end of the lake where the wind is blowing, and everyone's catching, they're catching on the short pole down the margins. The other end of the lake where the wind's coming from, everyone's struggling for a bite. But I can guarantee to you, if that wind all of a sudden changes direction and a ripple becomes apparent in that mill pond area, all of a sudden things start working. And it's not that the fish move; it's the the wind puts oxygen into the warm water. And it's like you—if you're not really feeling that well, you, you know, you, you feel a little bit lethargic or whatever—you walk past a fish and chip shop you know you can smell it but it doesn't really do anything to you but if you feel like you know your normal self you know moving around happy as larry all of a sudden even if you have some food you walk past a fish and chip shop all your senses get going oh, do you know what i don't mind a fish butty or fish and chips or or a, a portion of chips that it does something to you and that's what fish it does to fish that those fish are present in that area but they need that shimmer they need that oxygen they need that cover from the wind um, it's those little things that give you that um, knowledge for making decisions in matches regarding um, how the how what's happening to the fish, what depth they're at, and and like I explained to you with thermoclines, and uh, then air pressure makes a massive massive difference, especially with F ones and carp. Mm. It's so susceptible to air pressure that if you understand where that thermocline is and what happens to it, which can instantly change at a split second. Let's say, for example, um, you know, you get an angler, you fish the same peg twice, red up day one day, catch shallow, can't get a bite on the deck, line it to death if you put a deck rig out. um, And you can only catch down the margins or shallow on the pole or pellet wagger or method feeder up to an island. And then the following day, it's overcast. So that angler's thinking, right, I know what my plan is. I caught yeah. doing this yesterday. And then the following day is completely different because the fish are at a different depth. And that is purely dictated by low and high air pressure. Um, and then when you understand that, then that helps you make those key decisions at the start of the map that, that the average angler would never even consider.
0: No, because they're all having conversations that, oh, how did it fish last weekend? Pellets 18 inches deep and everybody's slapping away when the fish might be sort of three foot deep, yeah.
1: Exactly. So, and it's those little things and then when that, obviously the big question is like what you said to me initially about how do I make these decisions? Well, like I said to you, you and it always makes me laugh and I, I do it out of, I am a quite a laid back person Um and I have, in the past being renowned for coming to my peg very late mm-hmm. but also a lot of that was uh, it was, uh, I was doing it on purpose and i still do it is um, that just
0: to let everybody crash around and make a load of noise before you sort of sneak up
1: exactly now yeah. there's one question or one statement that i always believed that i figured out why do mpegs or pegs with space catch more fish mm-hmm. so what i'm trying to do is i'm trying to give myself an peg whether it's fishing further out than anybody else or timing my swim management better and by that i mean for example let's give you a typical example and testament to my results when i first started fishing lindome in the winter and well, let's say we're on the strip you get on the strip pond where let's say for example down the centre of the lake it's eighteen let's say it's eighteen meters to the centre of the lake, yeah, and the whistle would go and i let's say I've drawn a good peg middle of the lake uh now, let's say I've drawn out of the middle of the lake to the right or to the left, so the angle to the left is on more fishing theory, especially in back in the days, maybe seven eight, nine years ago, that was a very predictable where you needed to be middle of the lake in the winter. I'm, I'm on the edge of the fish, so to speak, or where they're usually purred up. Uh, and I'd start the match at seven or eight metres, some, you know, shake a few micros out, fish a soft formal expander. The angler that's on the fish, he's gone straight to 14 metres, and he's into him straight away, bagging up. Mm-hmm. And I sit there at eight metres, two lines, not a bite, right, nine metres, two lines, left and right, not a bite. And I know that my left hand line it, it, because the bloke is catching to my left, the cha- and it's towards the middle of the lake. That's definitely gonna be a stronger area, I think. And then I get to uh ten meters and I feed the left hand line and the right hand line, but I go on the right hand line first, knowing that the chances are now I'm at ten metres, that left hand line is definitely gonna get me some bites. Mm-hmm. So I go on the right hand line, spend 20 minutes trying to get a bite, maybe get one bite if I'm lucky, right, left hand line now, chopping fish straight away. You're
0: Cross- not worried at this point at all that this guy's bagging up. You know these fish are probably going to back off into your bag. Is that the theory?
1: It's not a race, it's a impression. Yeah. And this is, this is, and it gets gets to everyone where you, you get worried about somebody near you, you know. Just bagging up now or whatever. Doesn't matter what the amount of matches, and I think this comes from Warcraft, where I can't think of a match, or it's very rare that it comes to the closing minutes or seconds, and I'm not playing a fish. Mm-hmm. And and I'm a last minute dot com person in all everything that I do regarding the fishing. That the amount of matches I've had where you know an hour and a bit to go, you know, I'm steady away, not really catching. And then all of a sudden, like a flick of a switch, it all starts working, and that is my fishing in general. Um, so let's say, for example, I'm now I've gone to the ten meter line, left hand line, gone in. I've like got two and two bones. A lot of people think, right, that's where they are. Right, go back out to ten meters. And this is I'm on about a long time ago. You know, I'm not on about recent. You know, this is this is like general knowledge now because people pass on the information. I'm on about two thousand and Five two thousand and six when I first started fishing Lindome, and going from Hawcroft to Lindome was obviously a completely different style of fishing. Different beast, yeah. And the first seven matches I fished at Lindome, which was Sunday matches, and I won on, the, on the, I won seven on the bounds, uh, and they were big matches, and mm. it was all from these little things that I figured out. Uh, so I'd, 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 I'd then leave that Ryan line. Uh, the left hand line and go on the right hand line. I'd literally sit there for 10, 15, 20 minutes, even longer. Maybe knowing in the back of my mind that if I got a bite, I'd be lucky. But I'm resting that left hand line. Yeah. So, and I, I constantly just occasionally putting a bit of bait on that left side. Right, I've had 20 minutes. I've had one fish if I'm lucky. Right, time to catch a fish now. Left hand line, two fish. Right, leave it. Right hand line, go back on the left hand line, no fish. So go half a metre further out now all of a sudden I'm into one straight away and in the duration of let's say a two hour period where I'm fishing between 10 and 12 metres I will catch twice as many fish as him because what he's doing is plundering the fish mm. so it gets spooky and then you start foul looking or you start missing bites and they start backing away from your feed and and you're actually over a period of time putting more, twice as many fish sometimes in your net with that way because people are in a panic to make the most of those fish when they're there but it doesn't work like that if you invite a few fish it creates kind of like interest for the other fish but also you're not plundering your peg yeah and over a a fishing match isn't a one hour match it's a five hour match and if over the duration of that time you will catch more fish if you think about how you how the fish want to be caught rather than how you want to catch them
0: Exactly what Rob you said on the last one. He, he, that's exactly he, he said. Nine times out of ten, anglers are focusing on how you want the day to work, and that's not the approach at all. Like the, the words you just said are exactly what he said in the last episode.
1: So, so when when let's say for example it gets to that last hour, I'm I'm at fourteen. They, this is just a typical example. I'm at fourteen meters. Mm-hmm. That where that bloke started, and now I'm ahead of him. But I've still got another section to go for that last hour when all of a sudden it's ring the dinner bell and all of a sudden you'll start catching carp. So i then put another half an hour to go, 40 minutes right, another section. The fish are there. I don't have to feed them because they're being pushed there because of noise and disturbance. Mm. So then when I go to 16, feed a bit of bait, instantly catch. Because what fish do is they become interested. It's the same as ducks. That if you put some bread down, the ducks still feed and feed. But sometimes if, let's say you try to pick one of them up, all of a sudden they'd hang back and they'd all be really, really wary about coming over the bread and taking it because you've tried to catch one. Mm. Do you see what I mean? It's the same with fish. So yeah. that's what they catch straight away when you open a fresh lineup because the th- that's where the fish are, are being pushed to because of the, the noise and feeling uncomfortable. And knowing made in time over years that with commercial fishing they re- associate that bait with danger
0: yeah yeah now i've got a, qu- a couple of questions off the listeners for
1: you um one of them's not appropriate for now we'll, we'll, we'll do
0: that towards the end but this one is around tactics and it's specifically um about Lindholm. so let's fit that in here as we're seeing. So a question from my mate Dave, he said um, the jigger seems to become less and less effective on bennies. Have you any tips?
1: Trust me, the the jigger isn't less and less effective. The fish are getting cleverer, that's all it is. So you can imagine your F1s, they get stocked into bennies at a certain size. They're used to being in a stock pond and getting fed twice a day whether it's a timer or the farmer going around and feeding the fish. They are used to feeding at a certain time, and they compete. And because of the amount of fish per square meter in a stock pond, they have to compete to survive. That is in their blood. That's that's it's in, it's in the nature. So when they're introduced, everything works. Everyone's catching on a jigger and a fixed rig, and everyone's picking up. Then as they get bigger, they've seen it all before. They get a bit cleverer. And as they get bigger, they don't move around as much. And as a result of that, the lakes go clearer. Mm. So that is a typical example of bennies. The, the water clarity on bennies has gone has increased over time because the fish yeah. are bigger. And then that results in fishing even, being even more spooky because the water's clearer. So what you have to do, you have to adapt. It's not that a method stops working, but how you're fishing that method isn't working. So, for example, a typical example uh, is the jigger. In certain situations, uh, fishing a long lash. So I might be catching with a jigger 12 inches deep, but I might be fishing three foot of line. So now I'm slapping my rig, and my jigger's landing far away from a pole tip, and that's where the better F1s are. So it's a bit like monkey see monkey does. Mm. this is the problem with information ready to hand that it's relative but not always for how you want to use it and the venues that you fish and you have to adapt and that is what is missing from no disrespect that i suppose going back to when i was a youngster where i had to find in order for me to find out not forgetting none of my family fished in order for me to find out to become a better angler, i had to learn that information myself on the bank with the it, it. yeah now now you can ask a question and you can have it answered but is it the right answer
0: i'm not too sure especially with the with shallow fishing and with jigger fishing because there's just too many variables in my mind yeah um i guess straight away that you have given one tip and that's the idea of using that longer lash that's quite interesting
1: yeah so Little things like what I started doing, um and it was one day out of laziness from not tying enough hooks, using a six inch hook length, yeah, so you can imagine a jigger you've slapped your rig, you've not had a bite on the slap, so then you lower it to where you think the the fish are, and sometimes they're inches deep, so you lower your rig so you know you're kind of like maybe ten twelve inches deep, and once you've lowered that rig, your bulk straightens, your line's tight, but your hook bait is still falling, so if, let's say, for example, your bulk settles and you've got a more pellet on with a four-inch hook length, you've got a seven to eight-inch fall, i.e. it falls four inches, it gets level with your bulk, and then it falls four inches below your bulk. Mm. You've got that time for the fish to grab your bait. That's why the principle of jigging works so well, because your hook bait is raising up above your bulk, the fish is grabbing your bait, but it doesn't register until you go to jig up again and all of a sudden there's a fish on and yeah. you've hooked it in the bottom lip. Got it. That is because they're grabbing the pellet as it's descending down. So then, by out of laziness, I'd run out of four-inch up length one particular match when I was catching. I, I swapped to a six-inch up length and the difference was just like night and day. It was unbelievable. Wow. Um, and so now I'm creating a 12-inch four as opposed to a seven-inch four. Mm, yeah. So those cleverer, slower, wary fish have got time to grab your bait. And on certain clear venues, let's say uh, Benny's, a, a typical example, that principle works really well. And loco as well. Mm. The water quality of Lindome is second to none. Yeah, it's, it, it's spring-fed lakes. The 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 water is put into the lake at uh, four degrees, whatever the time of the year, because it's it's brought up from such a deep spring. Um, and it, um, for that reason, it's so high in oxygen, which comes back to my explanation about thermoclines, that the colder the water, the more oxygen it can hold. So you're influxing all lakes with a massive boost of oxygen, and that's why they never have fish problems at Lindome. And that's why, no matter how, many, how popular the venue it is, which we all know it is, the, the quality of the fish is just absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Um, and it, so, I just think the balance at Lindome is very good. And over time, you just have to learn how the fish want to be caught. And Benny's especially has become very moody, where because the water's clear, you'll bag up for two hours when they want to feed. And all of a sudden, your peg will just die, and you cannot get a bite. And that's just the nature of the beast. Mm. So, you have to make the most of that window when they're feeding, and hopefully, it's enough. And if you can carry on catching during that hard spell, and, they back away from your bait then you you're all on for winning the match and of course then you look at the areas where the wind's hitting they're the anglers that are going to carry on catching because there's more oxygen there's more cover for the fish and then it becomes a little bit more predictable sometimes but that's just that's the way it is that's fishing yeah absolutely
0: okay that's fascinating love it let's talk then um we're sort of i guess coming to the last five ten minutes now but um i want to talk about tackle i want to talk about your consultancy piece i want to talk about shimano and i want to know um because and the reason why i ask because i've still got my old beast master that i must have now for a god what 10 years still going strong brilliant piece of kit uh, i used to have an exarch ax poll a few years ago oh um, yeah what, when are they going to come out of a
1: i i I wish i could have a a long conversation with you but all i can say is watch this space i thought you Uh, might say that yeah i cannot (laughs) say i'm not allowed to say anything more than that um uh, but watch this space that's all
0: it has to be due it's been so long you know last last flagship i can think was fireblood maybe
1: it's fire and fireblood yeah 2014.
0: (laughs) yeah so I knew there was. There had to be something in the offing. They're just too good a firm to not do it. All right, I won't. I won't drop you in the doo doo. Let's talk about Aero then. Let's talk about the new range of rods, the ones that were released. I want to say last summer. Um,
1: yeah.
0: Was you behind that? Did you have a lot of input into those rods?
1: Yeah, I I had an awful lot of input because um well myself and Richard Griffiths were the main people that had input, but obviously because. And I've got an awful lot of respect for Griff that um, Griff is head of development for basically every division in fishing when it comes to Shimano products um, in the UK. And he just relied upon my knowledge with rods. Um, and of course, because I've been with Shimano for quite a long time now, I've been with him since 2009, mm. t- 2010, sorry, um, you know, I've learned these little things, especially when it comes to developing and and looking at the market and understanding what is needed from a rod, uh, I, I felt there was a little gap, especially with, you know, how far can you stretch elastic? But with, with innovation and, and tackle, there will always be room for improvement, and that's exactly the case with rods. Um, and, you know, little things like creating... Uh, let's say the 9 and the 10 foot in the X7 with ultra-fine tips for something which I'd say is one of my strongest attributes of fishing which is method feeder fishing. Yeah, and Using a really nice fine tits minimal, uh, minimal chance of moving that feeder, you're going to catch more fish. Fact. Um, read more indications of what's going on underneath the water, but also really does complement as a result of that a beautiful playing action for all sizes of cart and f ones, and that's exactly what you get from this. That simplest principles by using a really soft quiver tip, and and that, you know as a result of that, throughout the the X five the and the X seven, uh, I was massively involved in the development, and uh, you know still am. Um, you know, and 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 that's reflected in my opinion on our Ranger rods. That uh, like with all rods, they're not going to suit everybody, but. I'd say a typical example was Adam Richards. so uh, you know, got Adam from from Browning, and not forgetting, you know, Browning, brilliant tackle, really good tackle. Very much so, yeah. Um, you know, and you know, and it's good to get somebody and have a comparison and uh, an overview of of a range of rods from using uh, another competitive brand. And he was like, I cannot believe how accurate my casting has been since I've used the X7s. And, and that was something that um, I really wanted to hold in on, was the accuracy side to the rods. And and that comes from using a really high grade, using the, the correct grade carbon that we, we obviously had to test to get the right carbon. That responsive in the blank which stops it twisting so you're more accurate. Um, and you'll find with lower grade carbon, As it twists during that cast compression even when you're chucking 20 meters that's why no matter how good you are you'll have the odd cast where all of a sudden i didn't want it to go that way yeah yeah Uh, and and that's what you get out of a high quality blank which is what you get from the x7 so little things like that so yeah i'm very proud of the products that was created and we worked hard for it and um it's just going to take time for that aero brand to grow because uh, like what you said, you know, uh, in all honesty, I'm I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that might be looking for a rod and have not even picked up the arrow rod and it's just a case of having that opportunity in a tackle shop or on the bank um of picking up a rod and actually having a waggle with it but it's amazing, actually because it's not until you actually catch a fish with rod that you real that you that you really understand how good it is. Yeah, and 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 Adam was again another typical example, and a lot of people that I coach, you know, set them up right. Use use your rods and everything, and I'll set mine up. And halfway through the day, once they've become proficient enough that I feel nothing's going to happen regarding breaking the quiver tip or whatever, right? Have a go with this rod, and I go, oh my god, that's like a different world, (laughs) And, and it's almost like. You're using braid when you're commercial fishing, which obviously we don't, but that feeling that you get when you're hooked into a fish and you can, I oh yeah, that's, it, yeah, yeah I've, that's in that's in the mouth, definitely, and you can feel every single movement of that fish. And that's what you get from a really responsive blank, which is what we've achieved, you know. Um, so, you know, that's the story behind Aero and, and how, as a company, we really wanted to get back onto the matching course scene mm-hmm. by starting off releasing a range of rods, and and everything will follow in time, very very soon.
0: Well, I mean, it's about attention to detail, and as we've sort of demonstrated on this uh, this podcast today, regarding your swim management, understanding your conditions, understanding the environment. If that level of attention to detail that you put into your fishing goes into to the rods, which I'm sure it does then there's the great product. Great, good. Well, you can't tell me anything more about Shimano. Just watch this space, I guess. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: I'm not going to be Exciting times ahead. That's, you know, Oh, all right. Well, you can,
0: we'll get you back on. We'll do another one, and you can when, when the new stuff comes out, you can talk us through it. Um all right. So the next one, another question. Um, as we come towards, I suppose it ties up with like the future. I guess it goes into the tackle. It goes into to what. So this one's from Mick. Um, this question, and it says, "What do you still want to achieve in your fishing career?"
1: That's a good question. That, and um, you know, I've won a, a, quite a few festivals in the time. Um, and you know, looking back Yeah, I've achieved a fair bit, but so I should do because I'm a professional angler, but I've I've not won uh, and it's my main aim to win a big final mm-hmm. um, and I've been in Fishermania finals, Maver matches, I've been in them all but I've not actually won a big final yet and I'd say I've been in about 15 16 finals you know, proper finals like mm-hmm. Partly, I think i have been the masters seven times. Yeah, um, that takes like some devin. I've, I've, I can honestly say, hand on heart, I've had one opportunity that, knowing what I know now, I think I could have won it, and that was a parting final, and I fished it wrong, um, and I drew peg fourteen, and um, that's that. That would be my goal to win a big event, parting final, Fishermania, maybe match this. Um, UK champs I mean it's like a nemesis to me this UK champs <laughs> um, you know and I've fished it for quite a few years now and uh, the last three years I've fished it I've had two fourths overall and eighth yeah uh, and prior to that I've also i been close you know it, it's it's like a nemesis where it comes to the last round and I'm either joint second or, or second right, right, eh? or, yeah or third, you know, and I just need to win the section, or uh, it just doesn't fall right for me. But I, I you just got to keep going. But the prestige side—if there's one event that I would love to win, that is the UK champs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I love the event, I love the venues, I love the style. Uh, and it, it, to be it's honest, the with format, you, isn't it? I love the format. I, it, to be honest with you, even the, although I didn't push it in them days. When it was a mixture, a bit like the drennan Knockout cup because everyone loved the drennan knockout Cup as it old you know a mixture of natural and, and commercials would to me be even more uh interesting um not just commercials but it is the way it is that's that you follow that you follow the crowd and and people want a commercial fish and that's why the big events are on commercials. I
0: wonder whether that format will get picked back up again the adrena knockout because like you say it was a, it was a brilliant you know, journey and then you know the final at Dockland. What I said brilliant. I just wonder why that was not being picked up by anyone.
1: I, I am as well. It's one of it, and uh, apart from expense, the same as the Embassy pairs. You know, and then a lot of that comes from Embassy pulling out from sponsorship deals mm. to, to promoting tobacco, and that was all it was. And Embassy put so much money into this in, and and it, I, the same with the trend that I honestly thought. The, the Jenner knockout cup was going to get taken over instantly yeah and, and, re, and reborn by a, another you know organizer and it never happened which was a real shame a real shame
0: no exactly i'm sure I, it might be worth i might do some digging around and see uh see what happened to that and see why it got dropped off but, uh, well to be fair nick we have covered a lot of ground but i'm going to ask you six questions in a minute so you've got 10 seconds to answer each of these you ready <laughs> <laughs> i'm being ambitious but we'll see right yeah. three two one go you're armed with a rod a reel two packs of maggots and a packet of hooks where do you go and what do you catch uh
1: danfoss reservoir roach and bream
0: favorite place to fish
1: uh clumber park favorite fish species oh uh, little carp one bit of tackle. No, no, chub, chub.
0: chub. <laughs> One bit of tackle you couldn't do without.
1: Uh Method feeder rod. Aero X seven method feeder rod.
0: <laughs> Good plug. <You're>, you you <laughs> enter you enter a pairs match, who's your partner?
1: Adam Richards.
0: Best angling achievement. Uh
1: Best Angling uh Takers Festival
0: there we go you weren't far off a minute well done good effort nick it's been an absolute pleasure i hope we can do this again and dig even deeper i wish you all the success for the aero range i'm sure it'll do very very well and i looking forward to seeing the new products from shimano and dynamite as well thanks for joining me
1: brilliant mate thank you for all your fishing needs be sure to check out fishing evolution boasting two floors of branded displays visit our recently expanded superstore at Hadley Road in Sleaford where we offer a huge range of tackle from all of the leading course and cart brands such as Nash, Fox, Corda, Drennan, Preston, Guru, Daiwa and many many more. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram where we share all of the latest news and updates about products available in store.
0: Okay, welcome to the Tackle Shed, where I have been pouring all over the internet and the monthly and weekly magazines to look at items of Tackle that I think might tickle your fancy. Uh, the first one that I've come across, I wish to would come across this a couple of years ago, uh, www.tackletidy.co.uk. Essentially, they are injection molded organizer trays, I guess, for, for various manufacturers of seat boxes. I remember a, a couple of years ago, I, I got a Daiwa. I think it was a, a 150 SB. I, I quite liked it. It was, it was good. It was like a traditional style seat box with a, with a deep base. The challenge, what I didn't like and why I got rid of it in the end, was that the side trays were very thin um, and there was no dividers in there. And I ended up sort of a bit of sticky back plastic, some foam, making my own device, dividers, very sort of Heath Robinson, uh, not great at all. And, and it just just turned out not to be for me. Well, this company looks like they take the hassle out of all that. You simply go on the website, choose your manufacturer of seat box. For example, for me, I've got a matrix. Um, I choose matrix and there's various organizer trays that fit inside your seat boxes tray. It takes all the hassle out of dividing things up. So I really like that. That's something worth having a little look at if you are uh, if you want a bit of organization in your seat box. Uh, next up, moving on to the weekly Angling Times, the, uh, the 9th of March edition. Uh, There's a silver section there. It's talking about tackling spring silvers, uh, whether it be on a a waggler feeder, whatever it may be. It's covering a wide range of tactics to target silverfish sport. Um, But the one part that caught my eye was around the rods, the rod piece. So first of all, the Daiwa Connoisseur range. Uh, And the reason why I mentioned this was because over the last couple of episodes, we've spoke about this, the original range, Episode 1, Keith Arthur uh, pointed out as the purple one of the 90s is his favourite piece of kit he couldn't do without. Episode 2, Tommy Pickering spoke about the designing of that rod, how well it sold, and how much they exchange money for even to this day. So moving on now, and i I found the latest version, a very reasonable price as well, um, around £150. I'd be really interested to see uh, that range, get my hands on them and see how they match up to those Those predecessors, I guess. So, uh, yeah, it's it's sort of, it mentions about how it's good enough for, for trotting a stick float, for days, chub, whatever, right the way up to punching a slider float out. So, they look like a versatile range of rods at the Daiwa Connoisseur. Um, also in there is the range of Drennan Acolyte Waggler rods. Now I've not got one of these, can't profess to in one of one of these uh, Waggler rods, but I have got the eleven foot pellet Waggler version, and I've had it now for I want to say at least five years. So we're talking about tried and tested pieces of kit. I, I can testament to to, uh, to that range of rods. Fantastic. Um, wouldn't swap it for the world. Great piece of kit use it every time for for standard pellet waggler fishing. And when I say standard, I mean sort of like punching out to sort of 20, 25, 30 meters maximum. And um, if you want to go beyond that, you need to be stepping up to a 12 foot pellet waggler rod or even a, a 13 foot heavy waggler rod to go further, punching out 10 gram floats, etc. cetera. Um, I'd use a, a slightly heavier version. I've got a, an old series seven, a puddle chucker to do that. But uh, yeah, no, Drennan Acolyte, fantastic and i imagine their waggler range is just as good uh, what else have we got in there so in that silver piece now not necessarily for silvers but it does name check various lines and again sticking with the theme of tried and tested uh, it does point out the Diwa sensor now when we talk about real lines and we'll talk about reels in, in, in a second as well um i cannot praise iowa sensor enough probably about six seven years ago a friend of mine jez um he got me onto sensor he said look dave why are you messing around trying to worry about how much line you've got on you know you're spooling up with and and blah 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 get yourself a bulk spool of dio sensor cheap as chips and then just keep winding and winding until your spools filled and don't worry about backing etc and he's bang on you know for around sort of 10, 11 pound, you're going to get yourself up to 2,000 meters of Dio sensor, depending on the diameter and the line strength, and you just don't have to worry about you know backing or anything, just whack it on and, and you know, it would be perfect, and, and it's stood the test of time, I've used it ever since I, I have started to veer away a little bit with my lines in terms of um, silverfish work so I've got some sensor on a couple of reels, but four pounds, a little bit too sort of heavy. So I'm going to start going down the, the Drennan float fish range for um, silvers, especially for rivers. I use Maxima on one of my river reels and, it, and it's starting to sink. It's taking on water. So that's coming off. And I'll go down the Drennan float fish route for that. But I'd say 95%. I've got a couple of reels, feeder reels with Guru on um, j- purely because I won it. I didn't buy it just to try. It's the Pulse version. But 95% of my spools will be Daiwa Sensor. Sticking with the theme of lines trying to tested. It, it's not name checked in the, any of the magazines. But um, I've used Guru Engage gauge now for my pole rigs for, again, sort of probably five, six years. Never had any issues, but... Uh, every now and then I like to have a little bit of an experiment and I've just switched over to a couple of rigs, a couple of uplens to the, uh, the midi um, low vis version. I really like the look. And fe- I saw it in the shop um, before lockdown. It looks almost invisible to the human eye. <laughs> um, so I thought, well, that might be, well be worth a, a little sort of dabble. So I shall keep uh, you informed on that little experiment of mine as I start using it. Okay, uh, something else I saw in the same episode, uh, sorry, same edition of um, Angling Times. It was a carp rod. It said, Daiwa Black Widow, 9 or 10 foot. There's like an extending piece, like a telescopic piece that extends. Now, I'm no carp angler. I said this to Rob Hughes on, uh, on episode three. I, I, I catch carp, commercials matches etc absolutely but i've never fished for car i've never sat there you know the buzzers out a boilie a pva bag all the rest of it etc um and it's not something that i probably will do in any sort of great depth but when i saw this rod it almost like wet my whistle a little bit because for the sake of 35 to 40 pound um it can cast up to 60 yards can cope with leads up to three you know, for a beginner or, a, a you know, an occasional carp angler, I think that would be absolutely perfect. We know Daiwa gear is great. Um, okay, it might be a budget version, this Black Widow, but for me, it looks absolutely spot on. And I could be tempted to sort of treat myself to one of those. And just when it gets to summer, a couple of evening sessions, just to relax, you know, and you want to sort of um, look for a bigger fish, then that could be the way forward. So a couple of things there that I spotted. Okay, moving on to the latest version of Improve Your Course Fishing. It's the, the March to April edition. There's a nice article in there. 11 uh, feeder reels, the, the best 11 feeder reels, under £90. This is a good selection of feeder reels. In general, you're talking, you know, 3,000 size for very short chucks, 4,000 for your average chuck, and 5,000 above for when you start, you know, going, going longer and, and beyond. And, and these 11 reels have a, have a range of different sizes, um the one that caught my eye i like to use a dual handle reel when i'm feeder fishing even when i'm pellet waggler fishing actually um, i just find when you're sort of uh, you're cranking especially commercials you're cranking carp back or whatever i just you know the robustness of of having two handles um, and the only one out of all those 11 with a dual handle is the map dual uh, 5000 60 pound Really good price, um. All the rest single hander reels, but a, a wide range of different price points. They all look the part. They all look, you know, as if they're going to do a job, um, and I'm sure they do. But have a read, have a read at the article. If you're in the market for a new feeder reel, a real good selection to give you an informed choice. Um, Last but not least, moving on to match fishing and sticking with the real theme, the latest match fishing with Mr. Nick Speed on the front, who we've just had our big chat with. Um, It's one of his reels that he's helped design, and it's the Shimano Vanford. So we go from that... Budget, middle of the road range, the sub-90 pound range up to the sort of exclusive, the the real sort of premium range, should I say. The Vanford comes in around £220. It replaces the old Stradic, which was a huge seller for Shimano um, over the years. Uh, Again, looks the business and you can see how it would marry up perfectly well with these uh, these range of aero rods that Nick's just been talking about. So um, depending on your budget, if you're in the market for a new reel, it's that time of the year. We start thinking about you know respooling our lines and you know investing in some some new reels, some new kits, maybe getting them serviced or whatever. There's loads in the magazines uh, over these these recent weeks. So they are the things that caught my eye uh, in the tackle shed. Um, so we're coming towards the end of the show, and I need to introduce who our next guest is going to be sitting in the big chat in the big chair on episode five will be none other than absolute legend 1975 world champion ian heaps so i'm really looking forward to having a chat with ian about the glory days if you like but also of course uh modern times where he runs uh, his own fishery down there um in south wales so lots and lots to discuss uh, to ian with just before we sign off i'm going to launch a little competition for you um, a big big thank you for everybody that's been listening to the show uh, and i aim to continue delivering as long as you keep listening and um, with that in mind um, if you've not done so already and liked my facebook page do head over and go on to two pints of maggots and a packet of hooks the fishing podcast page like away i'm going to run a little competition um on there i'm going to ask you a simple question you just heard nick speed in the big chat Um, i asked him what his favorite piece of kit was and he replied what so i'm going to ask you that on my facebook page i'd also like you to tag a friend who's not currently liking the page and also share it and spread the love as well as a thank you for your time there's a chance there to win a branded cap and also some teddy fisher bait as well so a final thing from me thank you for listening please subscribe please share please like and enjoy your fishing thanks for listening